Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Michaela. And this is Drink the Movies. A podcast where each week we try to recreate a classic movie drink and discuss the movie that inspired it. Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the movies. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, hello and welcome to episode 64 of Drink the Movies. I'm Brian here as always with Michaela. Michaela, we are recording this on February the 14th, which is Valentine's Day. So we have an episode for love dialed in for everyone. But how are you doing? How is your Valentine's Day going? What are what are you getting up to? To, to you know, to celebrate love and St. Valentine, I guess. Is that what we celebrate? I don't know. Yeah, so apparently St. Valentine's Day was based on a massacre of some kind. I mm. I, I don't know all the details. So if you're angry okay. and, and not, not wanting to celebrate the day, um, you're still loved. You're loved by the Drink the Movies family. We you love are, yeah. y'all. Um, I think Valentine Valentine's Day is like a wallet massacre because everything like triples <laughs> in price. Yep. Uh, it's no it's no good. Stay inside, watch a movie. Uh, make yourself a Kier Royale like we did in the uh, in the lobby bar episode earlier this week. Have one of those. Um, well, I guess by the time you're listening to it, you know, Valentine's Day is already over. So I have one right. of those anyway. So we have a couple of really great drinks to share with you. Um, mm, they mm-hmm. are a little bit involved. So you might want to listen to this in the morning. Uh, and so, you know, uh, you can go get all the stuff that you need. Um, but we've got tons of stuff. So it's, you know, Valentine's Day was great. This is definitely uh, a day to remember all the people, friends, family, uh, true, true loves, true loves, all of yeah. those folks. Remember all of them in your life. Make sure to tell them uh, if no other time than now, it's a good time to tell someone that you care about them and you love them and thanks for being a friend and all that great stuff, right? That's right. And uh, last year on Drink the Movies for Valentine's Day, we did a whole month of romantic comedies um my you know michaela like like slipped those into the schedule i didn't notice them right away um but this year i i was wise to her uh so we settled on on one romantic movie um instead of four which is good but if you want to go watch those you definitely or listen to those episodes you definitely should there are some good cocktails some good movies we did when harry met sally bridget jones diary crazy stupid love and a French kiss. That was our rom-com month last year. But this, this, this year we're just doing one film. And if you're going to do one film about love, it needs to be the uh, most timeless, most classical love story of them all. I think. I, I agree. And unfortunately, for those that don't and that haven't experienced that melodramatic love, it doesn't always end well. So it's not a comedy. <laughs> yeah. it, 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 this it is. is the first romantic non-comedy. Posted yep. here at Drink the Movies. That's right. This is a that's right. This is a, a rom non-com for sure. For sure. So why don't we why don't we take a quick break? Uh, I think we got this set up for everyone um in their in their heads. They're scared to go on with us. So I think what will you know calm everyone's nerves is to take a quick break and we'll come back with a couple of cocktails and we'll get into those in just a second. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So this week, for two star-crossed lovers, we're mixing up two cocktails but a cocktail divided, if you will. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Two cocktails, both alike in dignity. Okay. In fair city, wherever we all live, we can, we can experience this romantic tragedy together. Uh, These, these, these cocktails are not a tragedy. Both of these cocktails are pretty darn good. Um, One of which is in the tequila realm, right? And the other Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. bourbon. Uh, yep. So if any of that speak in your love language on this lovely weekend week of 
Valentininess, um, stick with us because we got some good stuff to talk. So that's right. Yeah. So, so uh, <laughs> in Fair Drink the Movies Land, we present the Romeo and Juliet cocktail. And we're doing this one two ways. So, we found this cocktail on HGTV.com. Um, the cocktail sounded awesome. Um, and they do theirs with tequila. And, you know, we were talking about what movie we were going to do. We decided to do uh, Romeo and Juliet. So, we thought it would be fun to do it kind of two ways, right? So, you have the, the two families in Romeo and Juliet. So, we thought we would do this with two families of liquor. So, we'll do it. Uh, as is with the tequila. And then we're going to swap the tequila out for uh, bourbon and do it again and just kind of taste the differences and see which one of these we like the best. So Michaela, why don't you run through this uh, this ingredient list for everyone? It, it sounds like a lot, but it's, it's really not too bad. It's, it sounds worse than it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so come with us on this journey. We have one and a half ounces of Patron Silver Tequila. Mmm, tasty. Then we have half an ounce of Grand Meunier a quarter ounce of cherry or sham board, which is a raspberry liqueur, two ounces of chilled peach juice. You can get that at any grocery store, three maraschino cherries for garnish, and then an orange spiral again for garnish. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so you're going to shake all of those with ice and then put it in a glass and then garnish it with your cherry and your orange peel and make it real fancy looking. Mm -hmm. So this yeah, is we... the first one. We call this the Capulet. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, we used a martini glass for ours and yeah, it just kind of looks like this orange hued kind of martini type of a drink. Um, yeah. And the first one, yeah, just use the Patron. And then if you want to make it the other way, you're just going to swap that one and a half ounces of the tequila out for one and a half ounces of bourbon um, and try that. And that is your uh, Montague uh, version, I guess. And yeah, this came together, like I said, super, super simple. You have to, you have to find the peach juice, I guess, in your juice section of your grocery store. But, but other than that, it's, it's not too bad and pretty simple to put together. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting because as you watch the show and there's a bunch of different versions of Romeo and Juliet, but the one we are watching is the incomparable 1996 Mm -hmm. uh, version starring Claire Danes and none other than the amazing Leonardo DiCaprio and a bunch of other amazing actors. Um, yep. What I found was that both of these drinks really did fit the personality of the house. So, mm -hmm. you know, Patron, everyone's partying when they're drinking Patron. I, I, you know, you shouldn't be drinking anything if you're in a bad mood, but definitely not tequila. Um, tequila should yep. be, you know, reserved for the best of times. It really reminds me of the opening uh, couple of scenes where there's a big party at the house Capulet and everyone's just doing their thing and having a great old time. And yep. the bourbon is like reserved um, and, and like brooding, which very much uh, is reminds me of kind of the characters that are in the house of Montague, not necessarily Romeo, but his father is kind of like, why are you so unhappy? But he looks unhappy or sounds unhappy every time he's on stage right. or, yeah. or in the movie. Um you know, his friends are like, you know, we're going to get those Capulets. And then even his best friend Mercutio uh, is kind of, you know, happy on one end, but there's a much darker piece of him that mm -hmm. you feel is kind of just under, just under the skin. And so that's definitely uh, how the cocktail feels, the mouthfeel of it and the taste profile of it really brings mm -hmm. that out as well. Yeah. And I really, I really liked the, uh, the way that the bourbon tasted with the peach juice and that raspberry liqueur. I thought that it, it matched up well. Um, now drinking these two, I thought that the tequila one, that one to me tasted more of like a brunch style drink. And I don't know if that's just because I'd recently had like a tequila sunrise and this is kind of, you know, in that same sort of ballpark, uh, where you're swapping out the orange juice for the peach juice, but yeah, the tequila one tasted very brunchy to me. The bourbon one tasted like something. Yeah. You would get it like a, it's some sort of like, I don't know, like, dinner party or if you're doing like a cocktail hour before like a like a dinner or something like this drink might be the one being passed mm -hmm. around but but yeah these were both really really good and it was interesting to take the same exact uh cocktail recipe and just swap out the spirits to just taste um you know what the difference uh you know having the tequila versus the bourbon would be yeah absolutely both of these are very good uh again the same ingredients except for the tequila the, the tequila except for whether you use tequila or bourbon so go get yourself uh the ingredients make yourself a couple drinks let us know what you think um are you a capulet or are you a montague which team are you on as it were 
Yeah, that's right. Let us know. Let us know what side of this family conflict you are going to be on and which cocktail you like better. Uh, but now that we have these made, Michaela, we need to go. We need to go dig in to this uh, this storied William Shakespeare classic. So we'll be right back to talk about this week's film, Romeo and Juliet. Spoiler warning for William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. They both die. Everyone dies. Wow. It's, yeah. it's a dead dude reunion, as my mother, my late mother would say. Um, if you don't know that, then I, you didn't go to school because this was like the number one uh, William Shakespeare play that they made you read and watch and all of that. So yeah, that's true. I, I don't really understand uh, why we're even doing a spoiler warning. But if if you didn't watch this version, OK, we're talking about the 1996 version with mm-hmm. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes and a bunch of other amazing stars. Brian Dennehy's in it, a a bunch of amazing stars. Um, If you're not, if you've not seen this version, then press pause, go watch it, drink a Montague or a Capulet, come back and we can chat about it. Yeah, that's right. So uh, like Michaela said, we are talking about- I swear. Wow. Yeah. So, see, normally I have to worry about uh, Michaela singing. Uh, now I just have to worry about her breaking out into random uh, William Shakespeare lines. But that's okay. We will we will get through this together. Uh, you know, just just be with me, please. But we, yeah, like she said, we're talking about the 1996 version. Uh, this was directed by Baz Luhrmann, um, and it stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes as the aforementioned star-crossed lovers. Um, also, I guess spoiler warning for uh, you know the. West Side Story. If you've ever seen that, that's the exact same story as this because you know it, it leans it leans it leans exact. pretty heavily on it. Uh, pretty yeah, pretty, no. pretty exact. Pretty yeah, but, exact. Yeah, like less n minus one people die. Okay, so mm, yeah, but okay. it, it's basically it's basically the same story. You're correct. There's a yes. lot of musical uh, dancing which does not exist in the original Leonardo or the original. Um, play where this true, true. certainly not this one although there is some dancing in this one because even on uh, in the more classical renderings of Romeo and Juliet when they have the party where all this where, where Romeo and Juliet mm-hmm, first mm-hmm. there's usually some dude who's like so don't you yeah, versus that's... this one is like a rave there's acid or ecstasy oh, or yeah. some sort of drug that no one should take don't take drugs um but there's a lot of a lot of drug taking. There's a lot of dancing. There's a lot of a lot of sequins and a lot that, of. Um, that's right. Yeah, it's very it's very boisterous. If if you're as old as Michaela and I, you remember the late '90s, and that was the late '90s were were a trip. Everything everything was bright um, and kind of kind of flamboyant and aggressive for some reason. I don't I don't know. Like the late '90s was was this weird thing, and this definitely taps into that. Like as soon as if you're old enough to remember. The year 1996 you turn this on and you're like yep this feels like 1996 for sure, sure for sure um yeah. and and yeah um you know i was, I was kind of kidding about the the west side story bit there but yeah this is like the classic love tale and i mean it's inspired you know like it has like its own like genre of like this uh romantic tragedy and that all comes from william shakespeare's romeo and juliet um and this one obviously is is no different it's just a modern retelling of it and i think that it's really interesting uh the way that they decided to do it and the way they decided to do it is beautiful because this thing was nominated for one academy award and that was for best art direction slash set decoration um it did not win um but i Every frame of this movie has so much going on in it. Like it's it's unbelievable the amount of of care and uh, attention to detail that they put into this. There's like just tons and tons of religious like symbolism in every in every scene. There's just it it's it was like blowing my mind watching it again, just seeing all of the all these little details and things that they put into uh, yeah into this uh, set decoration, the art direction for this thing. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. Um... So re-watching this, there are parts where, I mean, so it's set in Verona. The original play is set in Verona, which is this town. It's a very pretty town in Italy. Well, this mm-hmm. is not set in Italy. This is set in a Verona beach. Uh, you think it's like California, maybe? Yeah, um, I, and- I, I, think it's, I think it's supposed to... Um- to be like Venice Beach, which would make sense because Verona in Italy is just outside of Venice. Um, right. But yeah, so it's it's like this it's like this Venice Beach kind of kind of you know surf town kind of thing, kind of kind of gritty, just outside of Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, it's very like you said, super bright. It's almost as if we took 
the Technicolor from Wizard of Oz and like mm-hmm. supplanted it onto some 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 set work uh, in like the mid '90s because there's you know the Capulets and the Montagues they kind of have their own styles of, of what they wear and what they and what they drive and what their homes look like. Um, but a lot is happening on this beach, and this beach is like this rundown circus, and the colors are insane. There's bright like indigo blues mixed with like the orangiest like sunrise orange. It's it's so neat, and I'd forgotten about how epically beautiful just watching this film was because of some mm-hmm. of the, the the set direction and of course some of the some of the cinemagraphic choices that they make in panning out and having really long um, looks at the beach and showing kind of the players moving through the scenery and you know the set directions and the art spaces really beautiful I'm so I'm I'm surprised it didn't win um and I'm trying to find out who actually won so we could hate on them a little bit, but um, <laughs> nothing's coming up in my computer. So I, I don't yeah. know who won, but man, it it was so good. I'm very sad that it didn't. It was it was really it was really good. I there were a lot of really good uh, films out that year. Let's see. So uh, the English Patient was the one that won, but uh, oh, another oh. Uh, Shakespeare. Uh, Hamlet was also nominated. The Birdcage and Evita uh, that year. So so that's what it was up against. But but yeah, this thing it looks incredible. And um, like we mentioned, kind of the way that they're they're telling the story. It's like this modern telling. Like we said, it's kind of like in this Los Angeles um, type thing. Um, it comes in like on this tube television. It's coming in on like a like a news feed. Um, you have the the news reporter there, and it's going through like the opening monologue. You know, in Fair Verona is where we set our scene, and we go around. We kind of flash around, and as as this monologue is going on, we're meeting kind of the different members of the Montague and Capulet family, and then we get into uh, kind of this opening scene of Romeo and Juliet, which is kind of like this turf war uh, where the the families are kind of coming to a head um if you're not used to the late 90s this is probably a little jarring because it looks insane and and then it also sounds insane because because it's it's modern but they're speaking you know the just line line for line of romeo and juliet so you know it's it's straight off of william shakespeare's page and uh it's right. it's, a, it's a little discombobulated at first um because <laughs> you, you need to get into it and it, it just it really rams it uh into you but uh it's really cool it's a really fun scene i think so yeah so the first time we kind of lay eyes on what's going on they do a really good job i think of explaining kind of the montagues are this who's who and, stuff, yeah. and mm-hmm. the capulets are also a really big family and of course they have buildings that face each other and they all hate each other but they're also like organized crime families and so the Capulets remind me of like almost the Sopranos (laughs) they're very Mm -hmm. you know they kind of look very I mean obviously it's you know this was set in Italy so they look very Italian anyway but you know their style you got John I'm gonna say his name wrong yeah John Leguizamo uh plays T-Ball and he kind of comes out of this convenience store and meets with you know him and a bunch of his boys meet up with a bunch of other boys and they're like beach guys so they're all in these really beautiful colorful like beach shirts and Mm -hmm. you think they're gonna be like yo dude you're messing with my stuff and instead they're like do you bite your thumb at visa you know it's very it is jarring to the ears at first and um i love the fact that it's using word for word the same mm-hmm. scripts mm-hmm. you know uh, that that William Shakespeare wrote in like 1563 um, or whatever it was so uh, that's really cool but it does take a few minutes even for you know the the, the trained ear to really get into because mm-hmm. you're like mm-hmm. I don't understand there's this dude with like a beach shirt and a buzz cut talking to me about things that I don't I don't quite understand so there's this kind of fight in this middle of this gas station it looks really cool one of my favorite things be um was when they talk about their sword or their dagger mm-hmm. and they they reach for a gun and the gun is actually, you know, the make of the gun is a sword or the make of the gun. Is yeah, a it's of the, of the dagger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which that's, I, I, and that's that's really cool. It's a it's a really cool way to interpret that and let it be, 
you know, modern and current. Um, and the guns look awesome because they all are like emblazoned with like the family, like crests and shields and things on there. So, uh, so they look really cool. Um, it, yeah. And I mean, you just have like these, like these moments of where everything is going like, like super fast and super crazy and like this gang warfare kind of a thing. Um, and then that, and then it kind of is back and forth with these really slow things. Um, if you, if you watch this, uh, this is directed by Baz Luhrmann, um, who also directed Moulin Rouge. So if you've watched Moulin Rouge, it's very similar to that, right? You have these big, huge, like fast paced, like set pieces, and then it goes to something that's, that's really, really slow. Um, and you know, more, more emotional, a little bit more moody. And that's what this goes to. It goes from, it goes from this gang fight. Um, and then, and then we kind of learn a little bit about the families that this is like the third time that they've had this big, you know, civil, civil brawl, um, and things. We learn a little bit more about the family, but then we cut and we finally, we get to see Romeo the first time, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, he's sitting there smoking a cigarette. He looks cool as all get out. Um, he's in like this, like, I don't know. It's kind of like, it's like a blown out, uh, kind of like theater stage almost that's yes. on the beach, um, there, uh, that looks awesome. Uh, there's Radiohead song, uh, talk show host. It's amazing. Um, it's, it's so, so cool. Uh, this is like epitome 1996. Cool. Uh, epitome Leonardo DiCaprio. Cool. It, it's just cool. That's cool. It's, okay, cool. <laughs> it's real cool. If you don't, if you don't notice, uh, Brian uh, thinks it's real cool. Um, it's cool. Yeah, it, it, it is. So, you know, Romeo is, is, oh man, remember, remember when Leonardo DiCaprio was young? I mean, I'm not saying he's old now, right? I mean, he's still, he's not even 50 yet. That's, I don't think, that's but, ageist. That's ageist, is, Michaela. No, oh, I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm just saying like, I remember he went from being this kid who was in what's eating Gilbert Grape, who was amazing to doing Romeo and Juliet. And then right after that, diving into Titanic that just skyrocketed the rest of his career. Right. But I mm -hmm. remember this was the first time as a girl in 1996, I was 15 and you're just like, man, he's so perfectly, I mean, his haircut is 1990s. His, the way he's kind of just walking around, you're right. Cool, cool, calm, sensitively cool. So he, he's in love at the beginning. He's in love. He thinks he's in love with a girl named Rosalind. Um, and, you know, he's kind of bummed and walking around and his best friend Mercutio is like, hey, want to go to this party? And he's like, no, man, I'm really bummed. I'm, I'm in love. <laughs> so I'm just going to be yeah. miserable. I'm going to be very emo. I'm going to be very alone with me and myself. And Mercutio is like a total party animal. He is played by the uh, absolutely amazing. Um, yeah. Uh, Harold, Harold, Harold Perrineau. Oh my gosh. So I had forgotten he was even in this. I fell in mm -hmm. love with him in so many other things. I think he was in Oz. He was in Lost. That guy, mm -hmm. and he doesn't age. I think he's part vampire. Harold, yeah. wherever you are, you're amazing. Your kids are like older than me. And I don't think that's possible. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I always remember him from Lost, but yeah, he was in um he's in the second and third Matrix films too that we just talked about yes. a couple weeks ago. So yeah, he's been in a in a ton of stuff and he's always he's always awesome. Um, but yeah, he kind of, kind of slips through the, through the cracks on all these projects. Like I said, I yeah. always, I always remember him from lost, but, and yeah, when I turned this back on, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot he's in it. And he's amazing. Yeah. He's, he's so amazing. good as Mercutio. He's so good. And he's like the best. So Mercutio's character generally is, like I said, he's this fun loving guy, but he's got a darkness underneath him. And mm -hmm. so, you know, he tells Romeo, Hey, I got tickets to go to this party. The Capulet, it's a Capulet party. Um, which is a big no-no because we just like had this giant gang fight in the middle of the city. But <laughs> Literally cool, blew man. up, blew up like a city block, you know, right, fighting with these right. guys, but we're going to go to their party. That's it's fine. Totally That's fine. fine. It'll be fine. What could possibly go wrong? We're all going to dress up. Um, mm -hmm, Romeo is mm -hmm. like wearing a night costume. Yeah, he's got like chain mail on. Is, yeah. like a, is wearing like a, uh, like a short skirt and like he looks he looks very pretty. Um, he's got these amazing kind of red lipstick and he's like, Hey, we should take some things before. So we can really enjoy the experience. And it's really, it's really fun. But there is a moment where Mercutio kind of shows, um, even his darkness right before then, when he's talking about, you know, you're in, you know, what queen Mab, he talks that, that whole dial, uh, monologue that's very mm -hmm. famous about, you know, when you fall in love, it's not really that great. There's a lot of other things that happen. It's kind of a, uh, an allegory or, uh, you know, gives you foreshadowing to what's going to happen. Um, but they go, they go to this party. This party is at the house of Capulet. 
Um, they make a bazillion dollars. They live in this ridiculously big house with like a courtyard and a pool and tons of security guards. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we kind of kind of walk through the house. They're all getting ready for this costume party. And we meet uh, Lady Capulet, who is the lady of the house. And she is very neurotic and wants to talk to her daughter, Juliet about this party. Um, There's this really, uh, you know, this governor of the state, uh, his son, his name is Paris. Um, And again, you know, they do a really good job here of like explaining people and where they are without uh, and modernizing at the same time. Mm -hmm. So Paul Rudd, who's also part of Vampire, he's in this as this smarmy governor's son who's like, I'd really like to marry your daughter, Juliet, you know? Yeah, yeah. The, he's like 17 yeah. in this film and he still yeah. looks the same. It's ridiculous. I was going to say, yeah, Paul Rudd basically looks the exact same. Uh, he basically acts the exact same. Paul Rudd always just acts like Paul Rudd um, and it doesn't matter what he's in, but uh, for and somehow it, it always somehow it always, it always seems to work. I think what year did Clue- Clueless must have come out like the year before this or the year after this? or somewhere around there right yeah. some something yeah. um but yeah so so paul rudd is doing doing his paul rudd thing um he's playing yeah dave paris uh, everyone gets a cool name except for dave he's just dave, dave. um but, <laughs> but but yeah we meet we meet juliet uh claire danes uh uh you know uh from homeland fat claire danes uh she's juliet uh her mother goes in she's like oh you're in love so we thought uh, so all of Romeo's friends thinks that he's in love with Ros- Rosalind. Uh, you know, Juliet's family thinks that she's in love uh, with Paul Rudd. Uh, but nope. Uh, someone knows, though, the nurse uh, who's kind of um, in, in the place. She's like a nurse. And, and this kind of she's more almost like a like a maid kind of or like the like the. I don't know, like yeah. the like the house manager kind of kind of thing. Um, yeah. So she's there, and and she's like, mm, I I see you, Julia. I know that you're you're not really into Paul Rudd that much. You're into right. you're into Romeo. Uh, the That's nurse right. nurse knows. Nurse nurse always knows. The nurse always knows. I mean, we have to talk about that iconic scene where they see each other for the first time. So mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. scene is exemplified in so many different film variations of Romeo and Juliet. It's like one of the most important scenes that they try to impress upon people when you go and watch the theater, um, when you when you watch the play Romeo and Juliet. It's a really mm-hmm, big mm-hmm. deal for them to see each other. Now I have to say, I'm kind of a snob when it comes to Shakespeare and Romeo and Juliet in, in general because I'm a hopeless romantic. I okay. absolutely love the way that they meet. They meet in between they're standing on either side of a giant aquarium (laughs) and their eyes meet and it's um, the acting is just brilliant claire danes is like very you know juliet's very sweet she's got this child smile she looks very young because she's supposed to be like 14 we'll just forget about that and leonardo dicaprio looks surprised at first he's just kind of shocked and then he's got this boyish grin and they both can't stop looking at each other through this glass which Mm -hmm. is so amazing because um they still let each other look at each other through the glass, which is a very mature thing to do. You wouldn't be doing that at 14, I don't think. Um, But they almost have a conversation. And the way that this is filmed is just so perfect. I really love it. Yeah, it's it's really neat. So you have have Juliet and she's being... Um, a little more coy, kind of playful. And, uh, you know, uh, Romeo, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio there, he's trying to be a little bit more uh, kind of brooding and things, but you know, he can't, can't resist kind of her playfulness. Um, now, this particular scene um, and a lot of this film are propped up because the soundtrack for this movie is unbelievably good. Um, and so you have playing right now, it's when we first first hear it it's i'm kissing you which is like the love theme for this film it's performed by desiree and it, it's so perfect and it's you know they're they're having kind of this this playful thing um on opposite sides of this fish tank um and they end up they end up kissing uh you know kind of sneaking off into this elevator uh sort of thing um and yeah they're getting getting their uh they're kissing going on they are in love uh and they don't care who knows it except they do care who knows it because they don't want their families to know because family's at war so that's bad so yes and of course he sneaks back in uh later because they kind of rip them apart the nurse sees what's going on mercutio kind of sees what's happening and it's like no this is this isn't good um you know 
he gets Romeo gets torn away um and they're like man she's a Capulet what are you doing uh and of course the nurse lets uh Juliet know that hey you just totally killed or kissed a Montague this is like real bad and so she goes out um afterwards she's kind of changed her clothes she's no longer a fairy or an angel or whatever she was and he you know kind of sneaks into the back where there's a pool and a really, really stupid security guard. That security guard keeps going back to check on them. And, you know, he's just willfully ignorant of what is happening. That that part kind of drove me nuts. Um, But I guess it had to work, right? So they sneak out, you know, and have this moment in the pool where they're telling each other they're in love and they're kissing more and they're just, you know, uh, you know, yeah. once again telling each other how much they love each other and how devoted they are even though they've known each other for four that's and a half right. minutes <laughs> that's right except except they're in the pool and they're you know saying it like uh, william shakespeare wrote it and don't be so mean on the security guard guy uh that happens in every one of these love story things like uh, uh who, who are you talking to out on the balcony by yourself oh no one never mind so so you know give give this uh give this guy <laughs> a free pass guard. give this yeah. guy a free pass uh romeo eventually leaves right a thousand times good night says juliet um and romeo's off to see father lawrence who's uh, I guess like the the priest, kind of kind of between these houses, uh, he's running the church, I guess more or less kind of thing, um, and he sees this as a good opportunity, maybe to find some peace between the the Capulets and the Montagues, right? If we can bring these two kids together, let them be together, maybe the families will stop, you know, at least stop murdering each other out in the street. That would be bad. There's a boys' choir at the church; they're singing "When Doves Cry," uh, which is pretty great, pretty great. Um, and and yeah, I guess that, that's kind of the plan, and that's I, basically the story of R- Romeo and Juliet, uh, you know, falling in love, uh, getting the plan together. But then things start to fall apart. It starts yeah. to go bad. It starts yeah, to go it, real bad. It goes real, like right after they get married. So they sneak off to meet um, Father Lawrence, who's mm-hmm. played by the amazing, um, the amazing, he's an amazing actor. He's got a bit, yeah. he's got a bit too much makeup on in this film. Uh, let's <laughs> Pete, just be Pete honest. Pete Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, Postlethwaite. He's amazing. So he he's in a bunch of other stuff from the UK. Um, really good actor. Go check him out. But he looks kind of weird in this one. I'm not going to lie. He's got a lot of foundation on his face. I don't know what that's about. But anyway, he has he, a, he has a lot of makeup on. I think it's I think it's because of the high contrast of the the colors and the camera. They needed. Yeah. I think they needed to just overdo the makeup a little bit just to yeah. you know, keep keep the blemishes good and kind of get, yeah. get his face right. And I mean, you know, if you're going to share a lot of screen time with you know a coming of age Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes, you, you know, cover cover up, cover up, guy. You probably probably need to. Um, but the wedding, I love it because you're right. Uh, there's this beautiful boys choir and they do a wonderful rendition of Everybody's Free. Um, that's what they kind of get married to um, right after they sing Doves Cry. And that's really great. Um, but literally like 30 seconds, 30 minutes after the wedding, you know, Romeo goes out to find his friend Mercutio. Mercutio is having a big fight with Tybalt. Um, they have... Uh, Tybalt's really pissed off because he went, they went to the party, they scuffle, you know, Romeo tries to get in the middle and he's like, I, you know, look, I can't kill you. I have to be your friend. And I can't really tell you why. And he doesn't, he can't tell anybody what's happened. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's really tough because Mercutio ends up getting killed. Um, and he in, you know, right as he's dying, he kind of blames both houses because Romeo wasn't there to help him because he was off getting married and, yep. You know, Tybalt is just the worst. And so uh, Mercutio dies. It's Romeo's best friend. He's so mad. He's, you know, in a fit of rage, goes after Tybalt and kills Tybalt. And now we got two dead dudes and they're, you know, it's dead dude reunion. It's really bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is really bad. And uh, it's really bad. yeah, yeah. Mercutio gets killed. And then and then Romeo. Yeah. Just in a fit of rage, you know, drives down Tebow and and, you know, murders him. Um, and, you know, people find out about that. Right. You're not going to you're not going to keep that hidden. So what happens? Romeo gets banished out of banished. our they out of our fair him. out of our fair Verona city. Um, and I really like how they play off his banishment. Um, and that he's basically out in kind of like this, like desert kind of thing and like an RV and a wide. Yeah. A, yeah. So, so that's kind of, that's kind of where he's, he's playing his, his banishment part, but before he, 
before he goes, before he gets ran out of town, Father Lawrence tells him to go see go see Juliet one last time because he knows Juliet's about ready to uh, be forced to marry Paul Rudd. Um, you know, which is which is bad news, bad news for her, bad news for Romeo. But he goes and sees her. They have a a fairly intimate time um, up in uh, Juliet's bed. And like I said, don't be mad at the security guard because her mom comes in and he's totally like there, like trying to pull his jeans on, like hopping down off the balcony. So see, no one, no one can catch Romeo. He is a he's a slippery slippery guy. So yeah, no, and it's very sweet. I mean, this is. You know, they had an option to make this a much more adult version, um, and they they kept it fairly PG-13. You definitely know what's going on. They're definitely consummating their relationship. Um, that was a much bigger deal uh, in the 1500s than it was uh, than it is today, let's just say. Um, uh, death to the patriarchy. So um, that was a huge deal. But they he spends one night with her. Um, he leaves. He's like, I don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out together. Well, of course, then, you know, the... Juliet's father is like totally ready for uh, her to Juliet to finally marry Dave Paris and she refuses and it's a big hubbub. And so Juliet's like, what am I going to do? She goes to see Father Lawrence and he knows that this is a real big problem because he just married them. So she's technically a married woman. You know, we can't have two married, mm-hmm, we can't mm-hmm, be married mm-hmm. to two people yeah. at once. So he, he devises this really great plan. This is not a really great plan. Okay. Don't anybody <laughs> pretend to be dead. Nobody this, do that. This, okay. This is this That's is like one of those. Me. This is one of those plans that sounds really good on paper, but when you <laughs> say it out loud, you're like, "Hmm, there are some holes here." There's 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 the there's some problems. Okay. Um. You know. Yeah. So he he's got this great idea. He's like, "All right, I I'm an herbologist on the side," and we see that um mm-hmm, at the mm-hmm. opening scene when we first meet uh, Father Lawrence. And he yep. says, look, I, I, I got this poison stuff that'll make it look like you're dead, but you won't really be dead. And I'll send a letter. And this is where the this is where the modernization kind of mm-hmm, goes astray, mm-hmm. right? I'll send a letter and to Romeo and I'll let him know that you're not really dead and that um that everybody will think you're dead, though, and we will put you, like we'll have a funeral, and before they bury you, I will come. I will, you know, come to do the last final rites blessing, but I will awaken you and you and Romeo can ride off into the sunset. Yeah, that sounds great, except this is 1996 and we have cell phones and television and we all didn't sorts of in other 1996. I didn't have a did. cell phone. Okay, um, I would have I would have been home to get the certified letter. Uh, you know that Father Lawrence <laughs> sent him, um, but but Romeo is not. He's out back, so he misses the, the certified letter. He misses this he misses news it. that Juliet has faked her death. Um, so he catches wind that Juliet has died from his friend. Uh, he sends his friend into Verona to uh, you know bring back word of Juliet to make sure she's doing okay. And his friend gets back and he's like, uh, "Sorry, Romeo, Juliet's dead." Uh, sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Uh, Romeo is distraught, of course. Uh, what can you do is you go back into the city you've been banished from. You go and you get some poison, and you say, "If Juliet's dead and I can't be with Juliet, uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go and see her. Take this poison. We'll be together in the afterlife, and and that will that will sort that. So so that's what he does. He goes to the church oh. where she where she's uh you know she's laying kind of kind of entombed on this uh, funeral uh, procession. Mm-hmm. This I, I, I this this is very sad. This looks absolutely stunning. Uh, her laying oh, kind of on this bed, and there's like I don't know, there's like 14 trillion candles around yeah, her. Let at it least. be known. Okay, when I die, I want 14 trillion candles to be all lit, like at an altar dedicated to me. I mean, that sounds super narcissistic, but it's so beautiful because she's just laying there like an angel because she's all in, she's in this white kind of gown, but it's, um, and it might've been, it might have been her wedding gown thinking about it, right? Like, Mm, could have been, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, because when she was supposed to marry Paris, um, it's so beautiful and he walks in and he kind of clutches her to himself and he says, you know, the, the last couple of words and then he goes ahead and takes the poison now what's interesting is that they do change up the timing of uh the dialogue here so in the original play he like literally dies he is dead dead when she wakes up that does not happen what they do is turn the knife in our hearts a little bit more and have him dying as she wakes up as she she as she wakes up yeah 
he sees that he's taken poison. She's like, what the heck? What are you, what have you done? What is going on? And he's like, I love you, bye. <laughs> it's over. And then she is completely distraught and there's no more poison for her to take. So she just grabs his AKA sword and yeah, his, his dagger. Yeah. He, he pulls his, uh, pis- the pistol out and kind of lays it on the, the pillow next to her. Yeah. So he takes, or she takes his, his dagger and, um, yeah, it kills herself so they can, they can be together. And, um, then it goes through a little montage. This is, this is kind of the one thing that I would change going back to 1996. I wish it just kind of what it ended on the, on the picture of them instead of just going back through kind of their, uh, their time together that we, that we had seen in the film. Um, and then it, it really ends with, uh, Captain, uh, Captain Prince, you know, coming in, both of the, both of the families are there and he's like, uh this this is what you get this is what your war has brought you know it's it's put a stain on on both of your houses um and then you know it it goes back to that kind of kind of news thing on the on the tube tv pull them back out and you know it ends uh kind of the kind of the way it began right this uh tragic love story uh you know fueled by yeah. fueled by dueling houses yeah and what a, what we don't see here and what we do portray in other films that i thought was uh, was kind of a miss was we don't see the houses deal with that loss in any meaningful way. And in the sense that we don't see that they have to speak to each other or deal with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, in the nine, I think the 1967 version, which is a classical rendering, it is not modernized whatsoever. There is a moment where there's almost like a receiving line at the funerals or where, not at the funerals, but where they've laid these two um, lovers to rest. And they yeah. have to kind of, each Montague has to like address or look at a Capulet as they walk by. And so some of them end up embracing, they look at each other, they have a remorsefulness that does not happen here. They're just completely like overwrought with grief. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you get that a little bit because say the two families are, are standing there, um, you know, and the, and the parents as they're bringing Romeo and Juliet out on the, out on kind of the, like the gurneys for the oh, that's to true. take them hey, off in the ambulances. The so yeah, you're right. so the, so they are standing there, you know, kind of having to face one another as they're as they're watching their their children uh, laid laid to rest inside of these ambulances. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 a very classic story, um, and this is yeah, it was well, it's it's modern. I mean, it's you know, twenty five years old now at this point, twenty six years old. Um, but you know, it was a modern retelling, and I just thought that the, thought that that was so like super interesting to just play it like completely like completely straight that this was this was the dialogue we're just going to put it in a modern day setting and and this film it it did really well it was made for about 15 million dollars it made like 150 million dollars um i don't know if it still is but at the time it was definitely the highest grossing um uh, shakespeare uh you know kind of retelling um in film and it kind of it kind of set off this thing you had like uh oh like the othello like Yep. One was done a couple years after this and kind of the same kind of kind of style where it was like modernized uh, kind of thing. Um, but this yeah. this really kicked it off. So, Michaela, you asked me what my favorite uh, love story was or romantic movie or love. I don't this one. This one's romantic. It's definitely not a not a rom-com, as, as we mentioned at the at the top there. But uh, this is this is a movie I like a lot. Um, this came out, like you said, when we were like like 15, 16 years old in high school. So this was definitely like jiving at that age. And apparently, you know, commercially it was it was pretty successful it was it was kind of wild but uh what about you did you watch this like when it came out when it was new or I did I did I loved Romeo and Juliet I was kind of a weird kid um when I was like in first grade that's when I first read Romeo and Juliet and I didn't even really know what was going on but I remember I was six or seven when I saw the 1967 version (laughs) which is with Olivia Hussey and um yeah, so I I I really was all up in this very romanticized, like tragic love story thing. So when it came out, I definitely saw it once. Um, and while I had an appreciation for it, I didn't love it. Um, I thought Claire Danes was very wooden, probably, if I'm really being honest, because I wanted to trade places with her and I was mad <laughs> that I was not able uh, to do that. Um, so I did see it one time. And so I had to rewatch it for the sake of this film uh, or for this podcast. And it really opened my eyes to how amazing it was because it did do so well. I mean, all my friends were like, this is so great. I don't understand why you don't just love it. And I was like, ah, it's all right. Um, It is so much better than I gave it credit for when I was, uh, you know, 15. 
Um, I, I love the story. I always love the story. Um, but the acting is amazing. Like you said, the set direction and the way they took care in modernizing it where they kept, they really did keep the dialogue uh, pretty canon, right? They, they mm-hmm. kept that as something that was sacred that they weren't going to mess with, um, but they made it work. And they tell a story that is believable um, other than the fact that they talk weird, right? Like you could totally right. believe mm-hmm. this story um, happening because of the way in which it was filmed and acted and, and told. So um, I love it now. Um, and thanks for telling me uh, to rewatch it, putting it, putting it on the schedule so that we could, yeah. we could re-examine it because it, it is something I think if, if you're not, if you didn't love it the first time and you saw it in the nineties, you should see it now because it definitely holds up um, versus some of the other retellings and modernizations of Shakespeare have not. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and they kind of fallen by the wayside where they were, they were, they might've been really hot when they came out. This is still really beautiful. And now it's a classic in its own right, because it's 25 years old, you know? Yeah. It's, it's 25 years old. It's kind of, um, uh, you know, you have Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes who were, you know, I think, I think Claire Danes was only like 17, I think, uh, when this came out and I, Leo must've been, he was a little yeah. bit older than that. I think he was like 21, 22 and yeah, yeah he'd done, he'd done like, um, Gilbert Grape before this, he'd done the basketball diaries. I mean, so there were, you know, there were inklings that he was, he was a very good actor, but watching this, you know, this came out the year before Titanic. This is like watching like him start to like put the pieces together on what it was going to take for him to be like one of the all time great actors, you know, that, that, that we're getting to watch. So it, it's like him, like <laughs> kind of like learning on the fly, like what that takes and deliver this dialogue and, um, you know, kind of, kind of bear these emotions uh, out. So I, I like that quite a bit um, for being in 1996. I thought that the visual effects were really good. You get, I don't know if it's like, if it's like matte paintings or it's some, some computer graphics, actually, it's funny if you're watching the, um, the end credits it's like the the cg department's like four people and now you go and see spider-man and the cg department's like 14 trillion people and it takes like 30 minutes <laughs> to get through them all um but you have like yeah. the you have like the you have like the high-rise building that have like their names on it you have like the big um like the big like uh, uh statue of like i guess uh it's probably mary i guess i'm not really 100 percent sure on that but but you have that kind of stuff in there and i think for being 1996 i think that it still looks fairly good they do a lot of like aerial stuff up on on helicopters you're seeing like this big huge like statue in like the town center like up from above and stuff and i think that that looks uh really cool um and i think that this this was just a very like it was very trendy it it feels very much like 1996 but i think you're seeing stuff like this come back around like even like this year i was watching it and i was like this reminds me a lot of like what they just did with uh, Last Night in Soho, uh, what Death on the Nile looks like, um, mm-hmm. you know, Nightmare Alley, kind of these like super saturated, bright, vibrant, um, quick take, quick cut, quick talking sections. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it reminded me a lot of that. And I thought that that was really cool. And like, and I, like I mentioned before, the soundtrack is amazing. It has two Radiohead songs on it, which is uh, my favorite band. Um, those songs are spectacular. Um, and yeah, check check out the check out the soundtrack for sure, for sure. Yeah, I, I remember you saying that when we when we first talked about doing this film. Um, now, for everybody for everybody's viewing enjoyment, when I first asked Brian, I said, "Hey, what's your favorite romantic movie?" He was like, mm-hmm, "Marriage mm-hmm. Story." So I, yeah. I think you're just a darker. <laughs> you just you just want the darker uh, version of love to be told. That was that um, was just me trying to get out of picking a romantic movie for right. Valentine's Day. But that, but yeah, I said worked. you you kept you kept pressing me. You, you wouldn't let I me did. do marriage story. So I said, uh, what about this one? Um, like I said, this was you know kind of a, a special place like in our hearts. My wife really likes this film. She was excited to to rewatch it. So um, yeah. yeah, it was it was a good good Valentine's Day rewatch yeah. for us. And I think that if you've never if you've never seen it, if you're familiar with the story, it's such a creative take. Um, like I said, yeah. it might be a little bit jarring at first when you're seeing like the gangs come together. Get through that. That's that's some late '90s stuff. You're just gonna have you're just gonna have to accept <laughs> and move on with in your life if you're not used to it. Um, but yeah, as as soon as that's over and it cuts and you see Leo on the beach and Tom yeah, York singing and he's he'll, he's he'll... pulling a drag on that cigarette, looking looking super cool. Then yeah, yeah, yeah you'll you'll get over it. Um, 
But I remember you saying when you when you said, hey, let's do this. I was like, all right. And you were like, you know, the soundtrack's amazing. And literally legit, all I remember from the soundtrack in 1996 is love me, love me, say oh, yeah. that you love. It played over and over <laughs> and over and over again. It was everywhere. You couldn't put it away. And what's really sad, as great as that song is and deserves some sort of accolade, I'm sure. Um, yeah. That is like the worst Hats off to the cardigans. Yeah, the Hats cardigans off to the cardigans. Great. Yeah. It is. But it, it is now, like listening back, it's, it's like my least favorite song on that entire soundtrack because the rest of it is so good. And it's just the tip of the iceberg. So yeah, um, I re-listened to the soundtrack this weekend and re fell in love with all these songs that I had kind of forgotten and I didn't realize were even in mm-hmm. the movie um, or in the film. So really great. It, it's a great combination of just a, a, a film that w- when you think back on what won awards and what did really well in 1996, English Patient did really well, but no one ever saw that. I mean, I did, but like three other people in the world did. Um, this film is something that it, you know, can still resonate with audiences today. So go see yeah. it if you haven't seen it. Um, if you have seen it, go rewatch it, listen to the soundtrack. Uh, if you can find it on vinyl, it's probably really amazing. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to put that on my to-do list. For sure, right now. So, what am I going to put on everyone else's city list? That is to go watch Romeo and Juliet and to make yourself a Romeo and Juliet cocktail and take pictures of it and send them in to us because we want to see. We want to know if you prefer tequila or if you prefer bourbon or if you prefer having one of each because that's a good way to go too. Uh, so, do that and tag us in all of your pictures. Uh, send us in recommendations. Let us know what your favorite version of Romeo and Juliet is because, you know, Michaela loves tragedy. Um, with her love so let us know uh, you can do that on our instagram and twitter it's at drink the movies and on facebook.com slash drink the movies uh, you can see pictures of ours recaps all that good stuff um, i promise i am working diligently on getting our oscar stuff up onto the website as well so uh, keep an eye out for that here hopefully in the next week or so um, and do that it's the website is www.drinkthemovies.com and we would really appreciate if Anyone out there listening, if you have some love in your heart left over from Valentine's Day, go and leave us a five-star review. That would be amazing. Michaela, where should they do that? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere where Anchor Podcasts are distributed. We do two drops a week. Uh, If you like us, subscribe, leave us a five-star review, send us a note. If there's a movie you want us to do, if there's a cocktail you want us to do, Uh, If you don't really know, but you just want to say hi, we're up for that too. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And for now, Michaela, we're putting to rest Valentine's Day. Next week, we are back into our Oscar watch, but we're not done with uh, Mr. Shakespeare quite yet. So keep an eye out for the next episode uh, coming out next week. But, you know, what I need for that house is divided. I'm going bourbon in my house. Michaela. That's okay. I'm going to do a Capulet because I could, I could use a party in my life before, before the tragedy ensues. So I'll do a Capulet, you do a Montague and we'll yeah. see everybody next time on drink, drink the movies. the movies. Love me, love me. For never was a story of more woe than that of Juliet and her Romeo.